When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie, and thank you for being here. I hope you're excited to learn more about amazing women from history because the story we're telling today, it's not a story that I knew. You, Stani, actually had the idea for... I ran across it somewhere. Yeah, I I've remember. been so curious as to how you found it because it's you know, so funny. Probably a TikTok. Ah, TikTok never lets us down. The likelihood of it being a TikTok is very high. Very Either high. that or like a random Instagram post. I love the More Than Amuse Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing because we're always running into either like cool art or like we follow a lot of pages that like spotlight women from history on their birthdays or like on certain holidays and it's always just really great inspiration yeah you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and it provides us with ideas for other content and other amazing women that we haven't heard about so yes here we are today one thing i did want to ask is do you know what a blind item is yes mm-hmm. like with dumois and all their yes. blind items it's like, are you a part of the world of blind items? I am definitely a part of the blind item world. Do you want to define it, though, in case anyone listening yes. does not know what a blind item is? <laughs> yes, I can do that. So blind items are like, it's usually celebrity gossip, but you can also do it with any type of gossip. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is that in order to avoid defamation, is what I'm assuming, <laughs> is yes. they don't use names or pictures. So it can be like about a celebrity, a politician, a public figure, anyone in the entertainment industry. And it's usually like a paragraph, sometimes even only like a sentence. Mm -hmm. And it provides information, but in a way that's vague enough where they can't get sued. So they'll be like, this A-list celebrity with an A-literate name was seen out on the town with this B-list celebrity, mostly movie actress you know like yeah random stuff like that so that you're you have to kind of deduce who it's about but the funny part about that is then celebrities can't really like get angry interfere okay because like if they say that's not true then everyone knows it's about them so then Mm. they're like oh how did you how did you know that it was about you (laughs) and then if they like confirm it then it also can lead to some stuff But what's funny is that actually the first known celebrity blind item was actually published by Luella Parsons, who we're talking about today. It was in her Hollywood exclusive column in the Los Angeles Examiner. And she wrote a blind item because no one was reading. So she thought some anonymity would pique some attention. Yeah. And wrote a well-known actor who has just returned from abroad with his family has been quietly seen out night driving around town with another man. And it later turned out to be Rex Ingram who was a famous stage actor and one of her husbands. So I think that's how she knew. But there's a lot of like blind item sites now. I know there's Crazy Days and Nights with a guy mm. named Enti. He's been on a bunch of podcasts. I listen to Fluently Forward oh, yeah. a lot with Shannon McNamara. And sometimes if there's something really juicy happening, I will click on the Dumas <laughs> podcast and check it out. I don't really trust Dumas. I don't either, but sometimes it's fun it just is to hear fun. the theories. Oh my gosh, because they were dead set that Taylor Swift was married for a long time, and I don't think she ever was married to Joe Allen. I don't think so. I think, here's the thing. I think Taylor Swift loves a good party. True. And I think there would have been like a Vogue exclusive or something. Mm. I, Interesting. That's Interesting just my thing. opinion. But yeah, I fully believe she would have publicized the heck out of that thing. Interesting. So. I just feel like she would like that. You know, like she kind of likes the pomp and circumstance of it all Mm -hmm. also with taylor swift breaking up with her boyfriend there is so many blind items that i'm seeing about a plus singer songwriter and it's always like if it's like the a plus singer songwriter it's like oh taylor swift because who else 
I know the fact that they can't even write A-list. They're like, A-plus list. <laughs> like, the <laughs> singer-songwriter. It's uh, her. Anyways, well, thank you for the history of blind items. That's actually really yes. interesting. I thought it was good context as we move into the history of Hollywood gossip columns. I Oh, my gosh. I love it. It was so fun to learn about. And I, I don't know. It, it is an art, you know? And as we were reading and I was learning about Luella particularly, she was who my job was to research for this week. I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? This is an art. And it's an art that I didn't understand at all. And I like that we're introducing a new medium here to more than amuse this week even if the ethics of the medium can be questionable at times and the people and the people they have very interesting stories it's very fun for lack of better word and yeah like i said a new art medium to more than amuse celebrity gossip columns always a good time and a famous hollywood rivalry yes this one's gonna be fun really diving into old hollywood vibes today so do you want to start out and tell us all about luella and then i can move into hedda and then we'll talk about the rivalry yes absolutely (laughs) luella parsons a big deal woman in hollywood that i had never heard of until we did this but she was an american movie columnist and a screenwriter actually which i think really cool but she was actually born august 6th of 1881 originally her name was luella rose odinger but at her peak her columns were read by 20 million people in 700 newspapers worldwide people love the gossip 20 million (laughs) in the early 20th century oh that's ridiculous that is so (laughs) many people like i don't even know if anything on the internet or how many things truly hit 20 million people that are like reading consistently i know like every single week yeah I don't know what like NPR's listenership is, but 20 million, it's insane. But she remained the unchallenged queen of Hollywood gossip until the arrival of Hedda Hopper, with whom she feuded for years. But to give some context of her life and her career, so she was actually born in Illinois, and she decided to become a writer or a reporter during high school. At her 1901 high school graduation, she gave a foretelling speech entitled Great Men, after which her principal announced that she would become a great writer, which wow. I think I really want to find that speech and see if there's any record of it. But after high school, she enrolled in a teacher's course at a local Dixon college. She actually received a financial contribution from a distant German relative so she could attend college and while she was still in college she obtained her first newspaper job as a part-time writer for the Dixon Star. In 1902 she became the first female journalist in Dixon where she gossiped about Dixon's social circles making a step towards her eventual Hollywood career. So at the very beginning of her newspaper career she's She's in the gossip world. That must have been a juicy little column. I feel like small towns. They have the best gossip. (laughs) Yes. And then like a little gossip column in the newspaper. Like it probably was such a hit. Everyone's like, oh, did you see this? Honestly, like I want there to be a gossip column for our hometown. Ooh. You know, (laughs) or like a gossip column for like the alumni of our high school. Or like (laughs) even like an Instagram page of like, where are they now? What are they up to? that would be funny. I'm so nosy and it's not a good thing about me but like i want to know why people get divorced i want to know why <laughs> I people think move everyone does i yeah. think that's like a kind of a thing that we ignore as mm-hmm. a society the fact that like i think gossip has kept people alive yeah. for a really long time well we did an episode earlier this year where we talked about the way women talk and we were going to touch on gossiping but i think we mainly just ranted about the fact that we're smart even though we say like and a lot that was a fun episode go check it out if you haven't listened but i've seen so many tiktoks and research about the fact that it's like gossip is actually an integral part of humans surviving because Mm -hmm. that's almost the way we protect ourselves and protect our societies is by talking amongst each other and almost warning each other of the dangers around us but then also the dangers of other people around us so agreed and I think it's especially a way that women have been kept safe. Yeah. So you think of like mm-hmm. gossip is how you're going to find out that a guy's cheating on his wife. So yeah. when they break up and he wants to date you, you're like, oh, well, I know I what you are up to. Away. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a lot more important than people make it out to be. And yes, it can be damaging, but I also Obviously, think it can be yeah. really useful. And so I think that's why there's a part of us that like 
we, we want the t- we want to know yeah. yeah we like being informed I like as a species knowing absolutely yeah <laughs> so her and her first husband whose name was john parsons moved to burlington iowa her only child whose name was harriet who actually grew up to become a film producer she was born there and while in burlington parsons saw her first motion picture um which was the great train robbery that came out in 1903 which is obviously pretty significant for what she ended up doing her marriage actually broke up and she moved to Chicago. In 1912, she had her first taste of the movie industry, working for George K. Spohr as a scenario writer at the Essenary Company in Chicago, and she actually sold her first script for $25. Her daughter Harriet was billed as Baby Parsons in several movies, (laughs) which is fun which included the magic wand in 1912 written by luella parsons and she actually also wrote a book titled how to write for the movies so love that divorce moves to the city starts her career in the movie industry wasn't gossiping immediately but writing Mm -hmm. scripts for movies but then in 1914 she began writing the first movie gossip column in the united states for the chicago record herald William Randolph Hearst, which I'm going to reference Hearst a lot moving forward in her career. He's a big deal in her career. But he bought that newspaper in 1918 and Parsons was actually out of a job because Hearst had not yet discovered that movies and movie personalities were news. So he bought the newspaper, let her go. Mistakes were made. But then Parsons, Luella moved to New York City and started working for the New York Morning Telegraph, writing a very similar movie column, which attracted the attention of Hearst after he saw her interview of his mistress and protege, Marion Davies. Ooh. Juicy. But actually, Parsons had encouraged readers to give this girl a chance, while the majority of other critics did not like Davies. Parsons showered this former chorus girl with praise, which led to a friendship between the two women, which led to an offer from Hearst in 1923 for her to become the $200 a week motion picture editor for his New York American. So his mistress, which just adds to the juiciness of it. Luella Parsons was saying, hey, I think critics are being tough on her. Give this girl a chance, was encouraging the readers to love her. And apparently for the rest of Marin Davies' career, like Luella Parsons was kind of a champion of her. And so she got a job from Hearst. But this just adds to it. So there was speculation that Parsons was given her position as the Hearst Chain's lead gossip colonist because of a scandal that she did not write. So because she didn't touch on it, that's why she got this job. Oh. In 1924, director Thomas Ince died after being carried off of Hearst's yacht, allegedly to be hospitalized for indigestion. Many Hearst newspapers falsely claim that Ince had not been aboard the boat at all and had fallen ill at the newspaper mogul's home. But Charlie Chaplin's secretary reported seeing a bullet hole in Ince's head when he was removed from the yacht. Rumors went everywhere that Chaplin was having an affair with Hearst's mistress Davies and that an attempt to shoot Chaplin may have caused Ince's death. But alleged... Uh Uh-huh. But allegedly... Parsons was also aboard the yacht that night, but she just ignored the story in her columns. And the official cause of death was listed as heart failure. So people think that the reason why she got the job is because she didn't write about that story, which, you know, would have encouraged the gossip that Hearst shot him trying to shoot the man that was with his mistress. I fully believe in those early days of Hollywood. Oh. We've talked about how it wasn't golden. People with money and power were covering up murders left and right. Left and right. So yeah, I firmly believe, I'm not saying that Luella was a conspirator in this murder. No. But maybe she saw an opportunity where she's like, I want this guy to give me a job. I want to be on his good side. I'm just not going to encourage the gossip on my side. And maybe he'll give me a job. And you know what? He did. It worked out in her favor. So, can you imagine the power of owning the newspaper? Yes, incredible. <laughs> you could just be like, no, I don't want to print that about myself. Yep. And so they don't. And all of his columnists were like, no, indigestion. Mm-hmm. Oh, he didn't even get aboard the yacht. He was at home. All the other people being like, time. well, I saw a bullet in his head. So, <laughs> that is absolutely insane. Very, very juicy. So, that's why, you know, speculation as to why she got her job. 
who knows? But in 1925, she actually, this is crazy, contracted tuberculosis and was told that she only had six months to live. So she spent a year in Palm Springs, California, which led to being a very popular resort for Hollywood movie stars. She moved to Arizona for the dry climate and then to Los Angeles where she decided to stay. And then her disease went into remission, which is a really big deal. And so she went back to work and Hearst suggested that she become a syndicated Hollywood columnist for his newspaper. As she and the publishing mogul developed an ironclad relationship, her Los Angeles Examiner column came to appear in over 700 newspapers the world over. With a readership of more than 20 million people, and Parsons gradually became one of the most powerful voices in the movie business with her daily allotment of gossip. That is insane. Mm -hmm. By the way, I did look it up, and NPR does have about a 20 million listenership every week. Okay, so she was as big of a deal as NPR. Yes. Thank you for that reference. That's Mm -hmm. perfect. Beginning in 1928, she hosted a weekly radio program as well, featuring movie star interviews that was sponsored by Sunkist, which I don't know why it feels so wholesome that it was sponsored by Sunkist, but it was. In 1934, she actually then signed a contract with Campbell's Soup Company and began hosting a program titled Hollywood Hotel, Another wholesome Another wholesome sponsor. (laughs) Which showcased stars in scenes from their upcoming movies. The stars appeared for free, which did not please rival broadcasters or all the stars, but they did not complain in case of reprisals. Her opening line of the show was, my first exclusive of tonight is, which apparently like became feared. The show was canceled, though, after the Screen Actors Guild demanded payment for its members. Warner Bros. paid her $50,000 to appear in the film version in 1937, but the film film flopped so from my understanding of that radio show they didn't pay the actors or the stars but it was almost like such a big deal and they didn't want to piss any of the people off running it so they agreed to it then finally the screen actors guild was like no you can't do this and not pay people fair Fair. yes good (laughs) you should pay people but parsons saw herself as the social and moral arbiter of hollywood and many feared her disfavor more than that of movie critics she actually had informants everywhere in studio coordinators hairdresser salon lawyers and even doctor's offices which goes into the morally gray (laughs) yeah i'm like that's against the law yes her husband harry martin was a urologist and a hollywood physician and it was thought that he passed on information that he learned in his position as a studio doctor oh gosh yeah she worked from her beverly hills home with a staff consisting of a secretary her assistant reviewer dorothy manners by the way she worked with parsons for 30 years a leg man who gathered news and a female reporter who covered the cafes. She had three telephones in her office. She also had former silent movie stars on her payroll to help them financially, which I think that's cool. She considered the biggest scoop of her career to be the divorce of Douglas Fairbanks Sr. and Mary Pickford. At that time, they were the most famous couple in Hollywood. She learned of the split from Pickford herself, who had made the mistake of counting on the columnist's discretion. She actually sat on the story for six weeks, hoping that they would reconcile and concerned that the news might damage the film industry. But she published it once she heard that the L.A. Times also got the story. So she, you know, had to beat the L.A. Times. And then when she received a tip that Clark Gable was divorcing his second wife, Rhea, Parsons essentially held Mrs. Gable hostage at her home until she was (laughs) sure that her story was spreading across the wire ahead of any other surface. Oh, dear. So, um, again, questionable morals, but I guess she was really good at her job. And then her unofficial title, Queen of Hollywood, was challenged in 1938 by a newcomer, Hedda Hopper, to whom she was initially friendly and helpful, but they became very fierce rivals. I'll go into her decline and her legacy, and then obviously we'll talk about the rivalry a little bit more later. But after the death of Hearst in 1951, which was big newspaper guy and with the Mm -hmm. rise of stars actually becoming producers her influence diminished she began to show signs of like her health decline and when the la examiner folded in 1962 her column was switched to the hearst afternoon paper the los angeles herald express which kind of meant that she lost her edge just wasn't a big of a deal and i think you'll mention it but hopper was writing at the time for the la times so Basically, you know, you can't really beat 
who's going to be breaking the morning stories. If you're the morning paper versus the afternoon paper, it's yeah. no contest. Exactly. Yeah. But she continued her column until December of 1965. Then it was overtaken by her assistant, Dorothy Manners, who had already been writing that column for more than a year. But she went on to write a memoir called The Gay Illiterate, and it became a bestseller. And then it was followed by a second volume in 1961, Tell It to Luella. And then in her personal histories, actually, she made a lot of changes to parts of her history in order to align her life with the Catholicism that she began to practice later on in life. For example, she alleged that her first husband died on a transport ship on the way home from World War One, but they definitely got divorced. And then her second marriage that she had was just completely omitted from her book. But after her retirement, Parsons lived in a nursing home where she eventually died on December 9th of 1972 at the age of 91. So she lived a very, very long life. Her funeral was attended by the individuals from the music industry with whom she maintained very genuine true friendship and then a cool thing is she actually has two stars on the hollywood walk of fame one for motion pictures and then one for radio which Mm. i think is really cool and i didn't know this but the character of gossip columnist dora bailey in singing in the rain is actually based on luella parsons so that would make sense there's an iconic character in one of the biggest golden age movies of all time so there are just some of the controversies involving luella parsons but tell us about hedda hopper okay so there's quite a bit on hedda she was very controversial okay so hedda hopper was actually born elda fury Mm. on may 2nd 1885 her name change is a very funny story so i feel like elda fury though is also a great gossip columnist name right (laughs) like i know she could have kept it Mm -hmm. but she was actually an american gossip columnist and an actress and at the height of her influence, her readership was 35 million. Oh, no. Yeah. So, you know, just a, a little bit bigger. That's, that's almost double. That's insane. That's, that's almost <laughs> double what NPR's weekly yes. listenership is. It's pretty crazy. Some of the things that made her really big are extremely questionable. Like, I will say up front, I think Luella was a nicer person. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But that might have been why Hedda Hopper was more popular. She was huge on like the House of Un-American Activities Committee. So like the blacklist and like communist naming and stuff like that. She was big on that. And so she was one of the main reasons why the Hollywood blacklist even existed. So that was like a huge part of her career. Okay, well, then that makes sense why people were continuing to tune into her. (laughs) Yes. Like that's the gossip they unfortunately really wanted. And she actually continued her career up until like pretty much the day she died. So <laughs> we'll get into it. She was born in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Her father was a butcher and her mom was just a mom. And then they moved to Altoonia, Pennsylvania. I don't think her childhood was super idealistic because she ran away to New York City and started her career as a chorus girl on the Broadway stage. She wasn't very successful at this. A lot of people actually called her like a clumsy cow. And just said that, like, she didn't... She wasn't fit. meant to be a chorus girl. I'm, yeah. yeah. So she ended up joining the theater company of this guy named D. Wolf Hopper. And she ended up nicknaming him Wolfie. And they would marry later. But she toured with his company. But then realized that, like, being a chorus girl, understudy jobs weren't really acting. And she wanted to act, to, like, actually act. Mm-hmm. And so she knew she'd have to prove herself in order to be able to do anything. And so... So there was this play called The Country Boy for a Road Tour that was being casted by Edgar Salwin. And she went to his office and talked him into letting her audition for the lead. And she was given the role. Oh. And it toured for 35 weeks through 48 states. And this whole time she studied singing and then ended up touring with another show and got the prima donna role. Oh, wow. Before it closed. So she ended up having like a pretty successful little stage career mm-hmm. like i mentioned she was married to d wolf hopper she was actually his fifth wife oh nice and his previous wives names were ella ida edna and nella oh no <laughs> and like i said her name was elda so ella and ida basically just squished yeah like very very bad 
So he would call her by the name of all of his former wives like pretty frequently. I can't really like blame the guy, but like goodness gracious, can you branch out and marry like uh, a Sarah or something? Like that's actually crazy. What? <laughs> yeah. I know, like Ella, Idna, Edna, Nella, Elda. Like say that five times fast. That's so incredible. she paid a numerologist ten dollars to tell her what name she should use, and he was like, "You should use Hedda." Which, in my opinion, isn't that different from the other ones. Like, I still think that's kind of a... But I guess, I mean, the H definitely adds helps. something new there. <laughs> so anyways, that's how she ended up going by a head of hopper for the rest of her life. They had Amazing. one child together who actually ended up playing Paul Drake in the Perry Mason series. And they got divorced about 10 years later. Okay. So, you know, like pretty successful marriage as far as Hollywood goes, but... That's why she changed her name. She actually started starring in silent movies for a while. Her first picture debut was The Battle of Hearts with William Farnham, and then ended up starring in another movie called Virtuous Wives. She played a lot of society women, which I guess is very fitting. Mm -hmm. And for one of the movies, she really wanted to upstage the film's headline starlet, <laughs> Anita Stewart. Oh, no. And so she spent all of her salary on a lavish wardrobe from an upscale boutique called Lucille. And she wore it in the film. And of course it upstaged the starlet because it was the most expensive wardrobe. <laughs> so it shows a little bit of her bite from the beginning. Uh, yeah. By 1920, she was commanding about $1,000 per week as a free agent in New York before moving three years later to Hollywood and became a contract player for Louis B. Mayer Pictures. And so over the course of her career, she actually appeared in a Hundred and twenty movies. Wow. Okay. So that's like a significant acting career. It's like yes. two one-offs that didn't really go anywhere. Like she was an actress. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think she really had anything super headlining besides the ones I've already mentioned, but like she was in movies a yeah. lot and that's what the majority of her early money came from. Of course, like every woman around that time, the minute you age a second, mm -hmm. they want to kick you off the screen. Yes. And so her movie career started waning in the mid 1930s. And so she started looking for other sources of income. And so she agreed to write a weekly Hollywood gossip column for the Washington Herald at $50 a week, which is actually equivalent to $988. So pretty decent payment. Yeah, it's about the same as what she was making as a free agent in New York. Hmm. But it was canceled after only four months because she refused to take a $15 pay cut, which mind you is a $300 no, pay cut. that's significant. Yeah, good for <laughs> yeah. her. But shortly after that, she was offered another gossip column opportunity, this time with the Los Angeles Times, wow. which ended up being the famous the big one. head of hopper column it was actually entitled hedda hopper's hollywood that is so love the catchy. alliteration that is brilliant and it debuted on february 14th 1938 she actually couldn't type or spell very well i don't think she had a very good education like i said she ran away from home mm. <laughs> acted her entire career and so she would dictate her column to a typist over the phone which i honestly think takes quite a bit of talent to sit there and talk your column this out it's kind of giving me the funny leah michelle can't read vibes right <laughs> anyways yeah. continue I see it her first scoop actually had national implications, and I think that's why it got a lot of attention. In 1939, so this is only a year into her column, she printed that President Franklin Roosevelt's son, James Roosevelt, was divorcing his wife, Betsy, after being caught in an affair with a nurse at the Mayo Clinic. Juicy. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the president's son? And you're the one breaking that he had an affair. Yep. Wow. That is significant. <laughs> <laughs> she was very hated. <laughs> Poor Hedda. So, yeah, like really, really hated. So we'll get into a lot of it. One thing was she really loved to wear extravagant hats. Like it was just a thing. Like okay. Hedda and her hats, they like, she loved This woman's them. got a thing for alliteration and <laughs> that is a bit I'm impressed with. Right? And what was funny is that actually the IRS allowed her a $5,000 annual tax deduction as a work expense on these hats. Wow. So when you get to write off your hats, <laughs> they get she more said, watch, like, see how much money I can truly spend on these hats. But because it was like such a thing during the Second World War, the Nazis actually used photographs of her and her extravagant hats as propaganda, as a symbol of American decadence. 
Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being the poster child of Nazi Germany's rich America? Oh my. Okay, so so indeed hated. I mean, if you wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't e- yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. That is that's crazy. Yeah, I read that and I was like, "Oh my gosh." Like that would be really hard to wrap your brain yeah, around. Yeah, that's I don't even know like the word to say. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, but like that doesn't seem and that's not enough, you know. Yes. Anyways. But she was really rich to be fair. Like her annual income was $250,000 and that's back in 1940s. That's like, a lot of money. It's a lot. And she had a mansion in Beverly Hills and a really upscale lifestyle. She actually called her mansion the house that fear built. So I think she was probably very well aware of what her career was built on. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Um, I think it's fitting that I shout out Fluently Forward. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's very fitting. So we'll shout her out. Um, her name is actually Shannon McNamara, and I really enjoy her podcast. <laughs> um, she sometimes dives into stuff that I'm like, okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, she kind of very clearly says when things are just supposed or other stuff like that so I appreciate that instead of believing 1000% that she's right which is what annoys me sometimes about Dumois um um, but yeah she's on Instagram at fluently forward I think I found her originally on TikTok but it's been like quite a while yeah I really like her TikTok actually yeah the way she talks about things it it does still seem very thoughtful like I don't think Mm -hmm. she's just going on smear campaigns for people she's not so I like her And what I also like is she does deep dives a lot on her podcast that I find more interesting than a lot of just, like, topical gossip. (laughs) And she also does it topically. Like, she'll be like, Gilmore Girls blind items and dive into, like, each actress of Gilmore Girls and, like, that's Mm -hmm. an episode. Or she had, like, a lawyer on and talked about, like, crazy celebrity lawsuits. That's Um, cool. Yeah, so, like, she has fun with it. She also ended up talking about, like, the Denver airport for one of her episodes and, like, conspiracy theories, which was really fun. Conspiracy theories. Not Mm -hmm. so much believing them, but I just want to know what people are saying. (laughs) Yes. She also led, like, a major crusade against Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, and she talks about that still a lot. And she has a book club on her Patreon. So she's just fun. Like, I think she has a good voice and, like, puts a lot of thought into what she does. Um, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I really like her. Yeah. So, yeah, check her out. Some other things that happened. She printed about an extramarital affair between Joseph Cotton and Deanna Durbin. And Cotton ran into her at a social event and ended up pulling out her chair. So she fell on the ground and then continued to do it over and over again. And the next day he received dozens of flower bouquet deliveries and congratulatory telegrams from others in the industry, thanking him for having the courage to do what everyone else dreamed of doing. So I feel like a key difference, it seems that Luella Parsons, people in Hollywood like feared her but like maintained friendships sometimes but it just seems like everyone hated her they hated Hedda they hated her amazing so I like I kind of feel bad for her like I'm sure she deserved a lot of it but at the same time I'm like yeah that's mean (laughs) (laughs) that's really mean but I mean maybe she did deserve it I don't I don't know (laughs) actress Zezu Pitts compared her to a ferret (laughs) frequently Oh, no. She also wrote that Michael Wilding and Stuart Granger had a sexual relationship. Wilding ended up selling her for libel and won. He sued her. That one, I think she printed the name and he was like, no, nope. that's defamation. Wow. Let's see some other things. Joan Bennett sent Hopper a $435 Valentine. Their $35 went for a skunk. <gasps> they carried a note that said, won't you be my Valentine? Nobody else will. I stink and so do you. 
She could have at least made it rhyme. True. <laughs> Hopper reportedly commented that the skunk actually was beautifully behaved. She named it Joan and ended up passing it on to the actor James Mason and his wife as a present because they had asked for the skunk after the story about the unusual gift made the news. So it ended up being a little household pet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she wasn't completely bad. I will say there was like some good things that she did too. She was a huge advocate for the actress Joan Crawford, whose career had suffered in the early 1940s after she was labeled box box office poison okay you know classic misogyny there Mm -hmm. and she was forced to resign from her label we mentioned this in our starlets episode they were signed to movie studios at that time yeah so you had to make movies with that movie studio you couldn't make them outside of it and they kicked her off wow basically she reprinted press release for Mildred Pierce in her column describing Crawford as a leading contender for the Best Actress Oscar. And it actually ended up winning Joan Crawford the award. Wow. So a lot of people think that she was swinging the decision somehow, like with her power and influence. I mean, 35 million people were reading. That's an incredible influence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so this has been described as the first time that someone was able to successfully lobby the Academy of Motion Arts and Sciences to favor a certain nominee. Wow. She did it again, actually, for African-American actor James Baskett to receive an Academy Award for his performance in the 1949 film Song of the South, which probably none of us have seen because it's banned. But at the time, it was a very big deal. He ended up receiving an honorary award for his performance. So like I said, she wasn't completely bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she had some redeeming <laughs> moments we swear yeah her politics were also like really questionable and, uh... she <laughs> was a fervent republican and a really big like patriot so anytime like nominees for the oscars were british she kind of would throw a fit because she wanted them to be american it is an american award show um <laughs> but <laughs> uh... <laughs> but i mean <laughs> she also like attended a lot of like political rallies Hmm. but i want to say like she wasn't the only person at this time there was quite a few people who were like really crazy republicans it was like okay so there was cecil d mile or cecil b d mile walt disney ronald reagan barbara stanwick and southern ginger rogers randolph scott Dick Powell, Gary Cooper, Edward Arnold, and William Bendix. It's like a lot of Hollywood celebrities were, especially the rich ones. Yeah, they (laughs) unfortunately checks out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was for the Dewey Bricker president run. Obviously, they ended up losing to the Roosevelt Truman ticket, which would make sense why those names sound I was going to say, like, I don't know who they are. Oh, that's because they were the losers. Cool. There was actually a lot of rumors about her politics, too. There was this rumor that she planned to stand up, unfurl an American flag, and walk out of the 23 Academy Award ceremony if Jose Ferrer, who was known to be a socialist, won Best Actor. It was completely untrue. She actually joked that she wished she had thought of it. Uh Uh-huh. And the screenwriter, Jay Bernstein, related that when he told Hopper that many people in Hollywood privately called her a Nazi because of her extreme conservatism, she actually began to cry and replied, Jay, all I've ever tried to be is a good American. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to be like, well, that's good. But it's like, well, people think you're a Nazi. Maybe it's time to reevaluate how you're presenting yourself to the public. But, you know, at least she was very upset by the fact that people were... That calling her I that. Think, I feel like, like that's people a good sign. really just hated her. And so I think it ended up like becoming a thing. Because like people didn't hate Disney for being in the same mm. political rally. You know? So it's like, uh, like I can kind of see. Yeah. That it was maybe targeted because they just hated her so much. Yeah. But. This woman. You know. I. What a figure. <laughs> like I said. One of her most famous things was The Blacklist. Yeah. Um, where she basically would just try to destroy the careers <laughs> of anyone that she thought was a communist, had communist sympathies, or were homosexual, or were leading lives that she disagreed with. So this oh. is where it gets like... All right. Hedda. No, no, no. Yeah. Hedda, Hedda, Hedda. She was the leading member of the Motion Picture Alliance for Preservation of American Ideals, which wanted to root out suspected communists and she considered herself to be the guardian of moral standards in Hollywood, 
Wow. Good luck. And she bragged that all she had to do was wag her finger at a producer and he would break off his adulterous affair. Which, you know, probably had some truth to it, to be honest. Because because of you. He's like, if she knows, she's going to break it. So I'm going to. Yeah. I'll break this off before it can make national news. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So she had some power. Use your power for good when, well, (laughs) when you do. Yes to breaking off affairs. No to a lot of things. No to most everything else. (laughs) (laughs) One of her victims was the screenwriter Dalton Trumbo. He was blacklisted throughout the 1940s and 1950s, partially through her consistent negative coverage of his Communist Party membership. Kurt Douglas actually ended up hiring Trumbo to write the screenplay for Spartacus in 1960. And Hopper denounced the film in her column, saying that the script was based off of a book written by a commie and the screen script Mm. was written by a commie, so don't go see it. It ended up being a critical and financial success. I think it's one of those instances like no press bad press yeah it just like adds to the conspiracy not conspiracy but controversy of it that it just makes it even bigger (laughs) plus it was spartacus yeah i mean (laughs) what's kind of funny though is that the premiere for another movie the sandpiper that had elizabeth taylor and her husband richard burton there and then also kurt Douglas as mm-hmm. well. Hopper began to complain when she saw that the screenwriter was also Dalton Trumbo. And this led Elizabeth Taylor to turn around and say, Hedda, why don't you just shut the F up? <laughs> Which like makes me laugh so hard because Elizabeth Taylor is considered one of the classiest women. I, okay. Like, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. We're like, oh, we wish we had a time machine so we could go back and talk to these amazing women artists from history. I want a time machine just to watch that exchange happen. I want to see the look on Hedda Hopper's face (laughs) when Elizabeth Taylor turns around and tells her to shut. Shut. (laughs) I... I need to see that. (laughs) I just like can't even imagine. Okay, I'm going to talk about it later, but that's even more funny because there was a movie made about the rivalry between Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons and Elizabeth Taylor was in it. So that's that I'm jumping ahead, but like that makes it so much funnier. (laughs) I fully imagine her seeing that that was an option for like an acting job and and being like, sign me up. Like I hate her. (laughs) (laughs) i would like to do something about that oh my god yes i love it very much one of the other famous like rivalries was actually between her and charlie chaplin charlie chaplin was gosh this is gonna get confusing charlie chaplin had a hopper how much alliteration can you throw into an episode okay so charlie chaplin was another target because apparently he like had communist sympathies We've covered so many artists where they, like, thought they had communist sympathies and they didn't. So, like, I don't really take a much of a also, stock in any of like, these. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. what, what was the problem, really? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm showing myself as someone who doesn't really know a lot about it. But I do know that this whole blacklisting campaign that happened at this time period, that was not good. So. Nope. Very toxic. I feel like I can confidently say that. <laughs> I agree. She also was mad at him because of his relationships with younger women because she considered it so immoral. However, she was married to a man that was 27 years her senior. Hedda! <laughs> so I was like, honey. Hmm. Like, let's, uh, you know, what's like <laughs> yeah. that Bible verse? Like, take the moat out of your own eye. Or the, is, am I, is that what it is? No, that's what it is. Okay. It's like, take the moat out of your own eye before. Like the sliver yeah. out of another, whatever. Yeah. It's just, yeah. One of those instances, it's like, mm, look in the mirror. <laughs> she also was mad at him for remaining a British citizen and not becoming an American, which she considered an ungrateful towards a country that had given him so much, hmm. which I think is a little weird. When in 1943, he denied that he was the father of a 22-year-old actress, Joan Barry's child, she actually helped fund the paternity suit against Charlie Chaplin, launching a campaign of attrition against him through her call and then calling for him to be deported for his moral turpentide. Wow. This woman was not afraid to make enemies. No. And I kind of admire it a little yeah, not like, the way that she did things, in a way like, it is admirable <laughs> in the sense that like my biggest fear is being unliked and so i'm just keeping it 
you know <laughs> she takes I it know. too far but like in a way there there's something to be admired in that Yep. Oh, my God. Her grudge only got worse when years later, Charlie Chaplin ended up marrying an 18-year-old. Okay, well, that's gross. Luna O'Neill. I agree, like, disgusting. But <laughs> what made it worse is that Una O'Neill and Chaplin gave <laughs> the scoop on their marriage to Luella Parsons ah. because they hated Hedda. So it sounds like people were fueling this feud. Oh, yeah. For years after this paternity trial, actually, Hopper cooperated with the FBI to destabilize Chaplin's career, printing damaging information leaked by the FBI concerning his past communist affiliations, and also providing the agency with unsavory gossip about his personal life. She really hated him. (laughs) She did. They actually believe that her criticism of him was one of the factors which contributed to him being denied (gasps) re-entry into the United States in 1952. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she had a lot of power. And did not use it for good. No. Maybe sometimes, but... (laughs) Maybe he actually was a communist. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, he did marry an 18-year-old. That's true. I mean, (laughs) I don't like that at all. There's just gray morals all around these stories. Like, (laughs) it is Hollywood. Please show me a good person. (laughs) Another moment that happened where Luella got the up on her is there was an actress, Ingrid Bergman, Mm -hmm. who was blacklisted (laughs) also by Hedda Hopper. And she had supported Bergman in her column throughout the 1940s, advocating her for to have starring roles in like The Bells of St. Mary, Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. But. Bergman lied to her about being pregnant with the married director Robert Rossellini's baby. Juicy. And Hedda believed her. And so she printed a fervent, like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. denial of the rumor, saying, like, no, this isn't true. However, Bergman was pregnant. (gasps) The news leaked to Luella, who gained the scoop. And Hedda was so mad, she launched a revenge campaign decrying Bergman for being pregnant out of wedlock and for carrying a married man's child. Wow. So do not get on this woman's bad side. No, she shouldn't have lied about her pregnancy. (laughs) She came for her neck. I mean, like, (laughs) she hadn't, like, she she should have if she wanted to, but oh. I mean, not very lightly, obviously. (laughs) Like, you can say whatever you want about your life. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Every story, I'm just like, Hedda, no. (laughs) Don't do that to people. Oh, man. Later on in her career, she actually had an acting role on a radio soap opera. She Mm. played Portia Brent on the Blue Network's Brent House beginning in February 1939. She also was the host of her own radio program, The Hedda Hopper Show. I think it was also sponsored by Sunkist. Cute. And also, (laughs) oh, no. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They just wanted all the drama, I guess. Mm -hmm. It ended up switching a few times, but it switched over to CBS three times a week for 15 minutes then moved to a once a week show but then it ran for eight years on multiple different networks it continued for quite a while then they expanded her show to 30 minutes on nbc and she was the host of a variety series called the hedda hopper show broadcast and it featured music talk and dramatized excerpts from movies with well-known guests I think very similar to Luella's, but I think they did pay because it was NBC. (laughs) So maybe a little different. Yeah. Yeah. In 1960, she had a television special called Head of Hoppers Hollywood that I just talked about. They had a bunch of guests like Lucille Ball, who was one of her longtime friends from I Love Lucy, Liza Minnelli, Robert Cummings, Marion Davies, Walt Disney, again, (laughs) Janet Gaynor, Bob Hope, Hope Lang, Anthony Perkins, Debbie Reynolds, James Stewart, and Gloria Swanson. Hmm. So, you know, some big names in there. She ended up having a couple of acting roles towards the latter part of her career, including some cameos in the movie Sunset Boulevard as herself (laughs) and the Patsy as well as episodes of I Love Lucy, which makes sense because of her friendship with Lucille Ball, The Ford Show, The Beverly Hillbillies. And she also wrote an autobiography called From Under My Hat, which very fitting. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then followed it with a sequel as well called The Whole Truth and Nothing But. Uh Aha. 
Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> she remained an active writer until her death, producing six daily columns. Wow. And a Sunday column for the Chicago Tribune Syndicate, as well as writing articles for celebrity magazines such as Photoplay. She died on February 1st, 1966 of double pneumonia at the age of 80. Her estate when she died was worth about 472661 gross u.s american dollars wow that's a lot well and especially like this is the 1960s so you know yeah. add some inflation to that and she's that's doing a lot very well for herself <laughs> she has one star on the hollywood walk of fame for her contributions to the motion picture industry mm-hmm. so there you go that is at a hopper I would be scared of her. Not going to lie. I would be scared too. Also, I did just a quick <laughs> inflation calculator and that's about almost $5 million. <laughs> yeah. So sounds about right. Yeah. She's doing very, very well. So, I mean, like who won the the rivalry if you've got 35 million readership, but Luella ended up with two Hollywood stars. True. Head only has one. Man, those stories are crazy. <laughs> right? I, I cannot. I don't think we've covered like such a colorful person you know in the um, controversies and just like what no like bad i will say though like i have never been more inspired to read a memoir or like an autobiography i would love to know her take on everything i know that i will be entertained oh to say the least i agree from both of them be like ooh. All right. Well, a little bit on their feud. So when Hopper had initially come to Hollywood, she and Luella were actually in a mutually beneficial arrangement. Hopper was then a moderately successful actress. And according to Parsons' successor, Dorothy Manners, quote, if anything happened on a set, if a star and leading man were having an affair, Hedda would give Luella a call. In return, Hedda was guaranteed a few lines of copy under Luella's increasingly influential byline. So that's, you know, yep, that's helpful. But after MGM canceled her contract, Hopper struggled to maintain her career as an actress. Like you mentioned, she got older. And that's when she was offered a position, as you mentioned, as a Hollywood columnist. And then, like you mentioned, that one of the first papers to pick up was ahead of Hopper's Hollywood was the LA Times, which was the morning paper like Luella had in the Examiner. And then Hopper first publicly scooped Parsons with the divorce of the president's son, Jimmy Roosevelt, as we mentioned, who was involved with the Mayo Clinic nurse. So I think she kind of took that scoop out from Luella Parsons so that she was one to break it. And like you mentioned, that kind of like put her on the map. There's a couple different instances that happened that made it, you know, that like, made the rivalries be cemented. So the first one was a Citizen Kane. So rumors began to surface that Orson Welles' debut film, Citizen Kane, was actually inspired by Hearst Life, which is the big newspaper guy that was a big deal in Luella Parsons' career. Parsons actually lunched with the director and believed all of his evasions and his denials. Hopper arrived uninvited, <laughs> which now checks out, <laughs> to an early screening of the film and wrote a scathing critique, calling it a vicious and irresponsible attack on a great man. And then as a result, Hearst sent Parsons a letter basically being like, like, how did I have to learn that Citizen Kane was this bad from Hopper and not from you? After this, Parsons then demanded a private screening of the film and threatened the RKO <laughs> chief George Schaefer on Hearst's behalf, first with a lawsuit and then with a vague but powerful threat of consequences for everyone in Hollywood. Oh, gosh. What? January 10th, Parsons and two lawyers working for Hearst were given a private screening of the film, and she was horrified by what she saw. She rushed out of the studio screen room to Hearst, who telegraphed back the message, Stop Citizen Kane. (laughs) Soon after, Parsons called Schaefer and threatened again with the lawsuit if they released it. And she also warned other studio heads that she would expose the private lives of people throughout the industry and reveal long-suppressed scandalous information. Oh, gosh. They did not want this movie out. But also, like, this movie is a big deal now. It's a huge deal now. So I wonder if this made it all worse. That's what I'm wondering. Um, Yeah. Schaefer, who had also been threatened by Hearst with legal action, announced that Citizen Cade was scheduled to premiere in February of 1941 at Radio City Music Hall. 
Parsons contacted the manager and advised him that exhibiting the film would result in a press blackout. And so the premiere was canceled. But other exhibitors were and other exhibitors were feel for being sued by Hearst and refused to show the film. As a result, despite support from Hearst's adversaries at Henry Louche, on release overall, the film lost money. I obviously, I mean, That's it's insane. now considered, you know, like one of the great Hollywood movies, but she wasn't alone in this campaign against Citizen Kane, but Wells never quite recovered his position in Hollywood afterwards, I guess. And then reportedly, whereas Hopper was more inclined to see their much publicized antagonism as funny and good for business, Parsons took it very personally and saw Hopper as a rival in every possible way. This is funny. Hopper also referred to Doc Martin, who was Luella's husband, who was also the doctor, the GD Clap doctor, and that infuriated Luella. <laughs> it's also been suggested that Hopper was set up as a columnist by Louis B. Mayer to offset Luella's monopolistic power. So some people mm. kind of think that they set it up. So that was like one of the big things that really, you know, made the yeah. rivalry bad was that. Hedda was the first one to say, hey, this is against Hearst. And Hearst was like, what the heck? And then and then all that. No, that makes sense. The other ones I already mentioned, like the Ingrid Bergman mm-hmm. baby situation. Yes. And then the Charlie Chaplin marriage situation as well being scooped. That ended up causing more antagonistic feelings between the two. <laughs> what I thought was really funny, there's actually a gossip columnist called Liz Smith. And if you Google her, she has one of the greatest, I don't know what they call it when they give him a title. Is it like a moniker? I think so. Mm-hmm. She's called the Grand Dame of Dish. I love that. <laughs> I know. What a title, <laughs> the Grand Dame of Dish. Yeah. So I'm assuming maybe she has more like British tie-ins or something, but she is also a gossip columnist and she wrote, the studios created both of them and they thought that they control could control both of them, but they became Frankenstein monsters who escaped from the labs. Hopper and Parsons together had a combined readership of 75 million people in a country of only 160 million people. So basically half of the country. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. Like, I cannot think of a single Mm -mm. thing in our entire country right now that could gain half. Half of the country. Of the country. Like, literally half of the country. Yeah. No, it's insane. It is insane. It's crazy. So, yeah. And I also love the idea of, like, you know, they became these Frankenstein monsters who escaped from the labs that, like, no one could control Yeah. And and it honestly makes sense that someone was like, all right, we need to find someone that can compete with Luella Parsons so Mm -hmm. we can have, you know, like, to help our studio out more. Let's put Hedda in. And then it just went a lot bigger. Like, I, that is so funny that it just went so much bigger I know. I'm like, wanted. I honestly think Hedda was much worse than Luella in so many ways. They were like, oh, we need a competitor. Let's create another like, gossip Oh, this. no, we've truly <laughs> created a monster. Yeah. Like, we cannot control her. <laughs> like I mentioned, there was a movie made, and I could not find anywhere to watch it unless I were to... I couldn't either. I'd have to buy the DVD from Amazon. And it was $80. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> this movie is not able... To- I do want to warn everyone there is another movie under the same name. It is not this movie. It is, not it this is movie. a British movie about a girl who ends up living on the street. I accidentally rented it thinking it was oh, this no. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Promptly had to turn it off because it got very weird very fast. No. So, <laughs> but it's called Malice in Wonderland. Perfect and it's name. a I know. It's a 1985 movie based on the 1972 novel. So there's a novel about it that you could check out called Hedda and Lella, a dual biography of Hedda Hopper and Luell Parsons. That book is called George Ells, and it actually stars Elizabeth Taylor and Jane Alexander. And it tells the based on real stories of powerful Hollywood gossip columnists, <laughs> once friends and later rivals. So you can check out the book, which is cool. I actually... I think the- book was hard to find wasn't it is the book also hard to find you can find it it's one of those situations where you can only buy it used Uh, Um, okay so it's like from a third party amazon situation i've bought (laughs) books that way before 
it does work out but yeah the book's hard to find too to be fair these were printed like back in the 70s and this movie was released like a while ago and then they kind of died off public attention for quite some time so unfortunately yeah those books and movies are not readily available but they do exist which i think just shows though you know how big of a deal they were in hollywood that they went on to make a movie about them literally starring elizabeth taylor which when you told that story i did not know that before that just (laughs) makes it that's 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 so poetic so much better Mm -hmm. yeah well i think this is one of my favorite story we've ever told it's hilarious (laughs) i agree just some good old gossip you know some crazy early hollywood stories always Mm -hmm. a good time thanks for joining us everyone if this is your first time joining us probably should have said this at the beginning but thanks for being here we talk about different women artists every single week and different topics involving women artists so hope you enjoyed this episode this would be a fun one to start with it definitely is yeah (laughs) but come back next week and we'll have a new forgotten woman artist from history that also deserves to have their story told even if there's there's less gossip involved in their story (laughs) (laughs) i completely agree also a reminder we post pictures and like fun stuff on instagram all throughout the week so check us out at more than podcast over there mm-hmm. and we also have a substack newsletter it's been going out a little late in the week lately <laughs> because i have been sick but that has more stories and photos and resources to learn more about each episode if that's something you're interested in so and we will be back next monday see you next week bye bye <laughs>